Hi, and welcome to the second chapter, the podcast where Kristen Duffy, the founder and producer behind Slackline Productions, that's me, talks to women who started the second, third, or even fourth or fifth chapter in their lives and careers after the age of 35. If you're enjoying the second chapter, remember to leave us a rating or review. It helps others to find us, and then they can enjoy it too. This week is the penultimate episode in the first season of the second chapter. I'm chatting with Melissa Davey, who went from a career as a corporate VP in social security representation to filmmaker at 65, an age when most people are considering putting their feet up and retiring. I didn't realize that I was 65. It just hit me that, wow, if you're going to make a decision to do something new, you might want to do that soon. Hi, Melissa. How are you doing? Thanks for joining me. I'm good. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you. Actually, I say I'm great. I've had such a strange week. I'm having like one of those kind of weeks. Yesterday, I hit my head very lightly on the sink. I apparently burst a blood vessel in my eye because I hit it like above the eyebrow and I thought, oh, that didn't really. And then I looked in the mirror and suddenly my eye went bright red. So that kind of week. (laughs) It's COVID. It's politics. It's a little bit of everything thrown into one. Yeah, I feel it's just a 2020 thing that inevitably, I was having a moment that I just thought, is this the time I do something stupid, hit my head very lightly on the sink, and then <laughs> end up having to go to the hospital with some horrible like brain bleed or something. But fortunately, I think it's just my eye. Oh, thank God. <laughs> anyway, that's how I plan to start the conversation. But you had said how I was and I said, oh, great. Thought, <laughs> Not really. <laughs> that's a lie, but mostly okay. That's good. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited. I have to say you're my first U.S. guest. Awesome. I'm flattered. (laughs) Well, I'm living in London, so I've had a lot of people all over the U.K. at the moment, but it's nice to hear an American voice here with me. A little taste of home. (laughs) Yeah, welcome home for a little bit. Thank you. So tell everybody where you are. I am in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. That's about uh, 24 miles due west of Philadelphia. And has some American history, if I remember correctly. (laughs) George Washington slept here. (laughs) He really did. (laughs) He he had a house just down the road and his troops were here in that famous cold winter where they got together with no socks on their feet in the snow and many of them died. But this was a very historic area and within a mile of the park where all of that took place. I'm glad that I actually remembered that correctly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Anyway, this isn't a history lesson, but (laughs) so obviously we're together to talk about your career change. I think one of the most interesting things about you is that at an age where a lot of people have retired or are thinking very seriously about retiring, you decided to change your career. And it sounds like you changed it for the pretty dramatically. (laughs) I would say, which when I look back on my life, when I made changes, they were pretty dramatic. Now, I never thought about it that way, but people have pointed it out to me that this isn't the first dramatic kind of thing you have done in your life. I got married young, I got divorced young, remarried, moved several times, and it was always on this quest to find the next better thing. And honestly, when I was recruited to this area, I wasn't brought up here. I was recruited here 25 years ago to build a division of a national company and run that. And I was satisfied doing that for many years. But when push came to shove, which means when I hit 65, 
a number of things occurred within the company. We were being bought. I was on the executive team and we were being bought again by another private equity firm. And I needed to make a decision if I was going to re-up for another five years and invest for another five years. And I remember sitting there going, oh my God, I'll be 70 then, which I am now. I'm 70. But I remember sitting there thinking, oh, that th- th- this is not good. I don't think I should do another five years because this is how old I am and I only have so many years left. Who knows how long? And uh, maybe I should be doing something else. And that kind of brought me back to my younger years where I'd be in the job for a number of years, got it all figured out, did a really good job, was successful. And then it would be, well, but what's next? I did that. I didn't usually stay. I would find the next best thing or it would find me. Many times it just found me. And I think because I was open for it. So I opened myself up (laughs) and started doing this inventory of where I've been and what I've done and what I haven't done. And I started making a list of if I had a choice, would I do any of these things that I wish I had tried to do? And I thought maybe I really started to list them out. And then this just series of events all came together at the same time that pushed me into deciding that, gee, I want to be a filmmaker. I know that sounds a little crazy, but as a kid, I was interested in film and I would read books about films and directors and producers and always had a little bit of a fantasy about Hollywood and filmmaking and thinking, oh, I wish I could do that. But of course, Unless you've grown up in that atmosphere or had somebody behind you saying, oh, sure, you should be a filmmaker. It was always just this. I didn't even talk about it to anybody. That was my own little fantasy secret, because how do you have a conversation with somebody who knows you, knows what you do? And, oh, yeah, I think I'll be a filmmaker. Obviously, no one who's listening can see my face. But the whole time you're talking, I feel like my face is like going, oh, <laughs> But there was something you said to me when we were emailing to each other. Obviously, I want to get back to the filmmaking yeah. thing. But I think the reason my face is so excited is because I feel like you're telling my own story, however many years on, because I definitely am the person who's always, what's next, right. what's next. And one of the things you said to me via email was that you'd thoroughly exhausted all of the dreams that you had on that list. What were some of the other dreams maybe that you felt were big, big dream tick marks before you got to this point? A lot of it was based on where I had landed in the work world. I started out in legal services doing nonprofit work, legal work, social security representation and welfare law work. And and then I thought, what's next? And from that, I parlayed that into another nonprofit organization but it was a step up the ladder. It was a moving into a vice president job in a community workshop to be their VP of development. And I kept thinking that, okay, this makes sense. This is the logical thing to do. And then once that was figured out, the next thing was a company looking at me and looking at my nonprofit experience and parlaying that into the for-profit world. So that was another opportunity that I was given. And I started that really randomly, not really knowing how I was going to take what I had learned in the nonprofit world 
and make it make money. I was responsible for a nonprofit budget, meaning you spent all the money and you made sure that you could account for where all of that money went and that it provided the services that you promised that it would provide. So that was my background. And I was doing a lot of advocacy work for people with disabilities, things like that. So when I stepped into the for-profit world, I got my toes in that. The reason was the for-profit world, there were a number of companies in the United States that were developing social security disability programs for their customers who were insurance carriers. So it was just, in essence, almost the same work, but for a different person and a different entity, and it needed to make money. So you had to develop it and set it up completely differently. I guess the interview went well because I was hired. I had to move here from Massachusetts and I was newly married at the time, my current husband. This is 25 plus years ago. And I remember saying to him, hey, you know how I've always wanted to do the next best thing? And this (laughs) opportunity has come up. And I think that I think I want to try it. What do you think? And here we had been together for five years, but we'd only been married for a few months. And he was, he just said, okay. He said, I'm ready for a change. And why not? This is a great opportunity. Let's do it. So he was kind enough to give up his job (laughs) to come here with me to do something that I wasn't quite sure I could do it. I was sure that I could figure out how to do it, but I was absolutely sure that I didn't know how to do it yet. So I came here to Pennsylvania and started a a large division of this national company that over the years, it did phenomenally well. So I made millions of dollars for the company and did very well myself and went on as a partner in the company, which was, again, the next best thing kept coming. I got to work all over the United States and Canada little bit in London, actually. And I was exposed to so many opportunities and I just would grab each one that I saw. And it took me to a level that I was very satisfied. I loved where I was working. I loved the people. I had staff all over the country, so I traveled continuously. And that was exciting. I'm not real good at just sitting and doing one thing. I'm not too good at that. So it was great that I had an office in LA, an office in Chattanooga, Tennessee, an office in Portland, Maine, and one here in Pennsylvania. So I was just constantly going and developing new programs for these insurance customers and really enjoying it, enjoying staff and getting to mentor some really bright people, one of whom took my job when I left. So it was phenomenal. But 65 hit. And I have to be perfectly honest, I could do that job in my sleep at this point because I created it. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah. Yeah. Because I definitely have experienced that where I I didn't like a new job where I didn't feel like I knew what I was doing. But as soon as I knew what I was doing, I was like, okay, now I'm bored. What's next? That was my what's next. Exactly. Your story is also familiar in the sense that I, when I moved to London, said, my whole career had been, I don't know, driven for me in a sense that I was, something would come up, the next best thing would come up or a promotion would come up or a job change would come up. I was very much, when I moved to London, I want 
to start creating my own, you know, choices. Now yeah. life hands you choices sometimes right. that you're surprised about and you don't always have, but it sounds like you came to that revelation almost at 65 where you're I like, did. really my time to start making my own completely right. radical choice. Right. But I had this huge aha moment that, wow, I'm old. I didn't realize that I was 65. You know what I mean? I, it just hit me that, wow, if you're going to make a decision to do something new, you might want to do that soon. So again, I was having those talks with myself. And then as happens many times in my life, a very curious thing happened one day that put me on a movie set. <laughs> and I got to spend the day on a, a, in a 10 hour day on the set with M. Night Shyamalan while he was filming a portion of his film, The Visit. And I, I was behind the camera with him. Hold on. Can't say something, something happened that I got on this film set okay. behind M. Night Shyamalan and not, not tell us what happened. Okay. So here's what happened. I was down in Washington, D.C. at a congressional meeting that I'd been to. It's like Groundhog Day. I'd been to the same meeting for, I don't know, 15 years. Nothing much changed. And it was all about the improvement of the Social Security Disability Program. And I was speaking and it was an early program. And, and I was looking around the room. And again, this is all when I'm thinking about what do I want to do with my life? Am I going to stay at this job? I'm sitting at this groundhog meeting. And I was just like, oh my gosh. I can't come to another one of these meetings. It's not going anywhere. So instead of staying for the second half just to listen, I told my friends, I'm gone. So I hopped it back up to Pennsylvania, decided uh, to take the rest of the afternoon off, hooked up with a friend whom I hadn't seen in a year because I was so busy. And she said, look, I have to pick up my daughter at school and drop her off at a horse barn you want to come for the ride. So that's what I did. And on this ride, who knew? Who knew that we would be going up a dirt road in Chester County and it was a March day and dark, like a storm was brewing. It was it was just a beautiful ride, but a gloomy, strange day. And she said, look over there. I think they're making a movie over there. And I looked over and she was right. So we dropped off Grace, came back around and I said, stop for a minute. You have to know that I was looking down this long driveway that led to a very old kind of decrepit looking stone farmhouse. And along the driveway were all these leafless, craggly trees like lining the driveway. And the light was coming through the dark sky and hitting them and making them the most beautiful kind of orange color. So I took a picture and then we sat there talking and I was telling her about, oh, I wish I had done film, blah, blah, blah. And I said, I bet I know who this is. I bet I know because M. Night Shyamalan is from here and I've always followed his stuff and he always does something creepy. And I thought, wouldn't and, it? Yeah, and films. Yeah. 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 So I pulled out the iPhone, punched in his name and boom. It says M. Night Shyamalan doing a micro-budget film in Chester County, Pennsylvania, where I was sitting. And so I went to his website and up came the same picture. He had taken the same picture of the craggly trees, only he has black and white and mine was beautiful. It was actually nicer than his. 
But I said, it's him. (laughs) So we were sitting there laughing. And she said, oh, you should go say hello. And I said, oh, no, you don't do that. But I noticed on his website that there was a little red button that said Charity Buzz. And I didn't know what it was. So I hit it and up came his face. And it said, win a day on the set with M. Night Shyamalan. So we're sitting there laughing and she's, oh, you have to do it. And so we sat there reading this and I thought, what's the harm? I can try to get on the set with him and at the same time support a wonderful effort on his foundation's behalf. So that's what went on. And I went home and I told my husband, this is what I'm doing now. And he just chuckled and said, oh, that'd be fun. And long story short, I won the day on the set. I was sitting at my job and I had my phone propped up because I knew it was going to announce. Within two weeks, I was on the movie set at the 30th Street Amtrak station where that was filmed that day and spent the day with him and his cast and his crew. And they were just so welcoming and so open. And I thought, oh, he's getting money for his foundation. He's going to put this older woman in the back sitting in a chair. But he just encouraged me to be behind the camera with him, to ask questions. And it was at lunch together that day that he said, what do you do? And I was trying to explain social security, disability, and risk management for insurance companies. So he rolled his eyes a little. And he's very, he has this childlike way about him. He's a very interesting guy. And he looked at me and he said, what do you really want to do? And I said, oh, I want your job. He said, you better hurry up. And that (gasps) short, it was, he probably wouldn't remember the conversation today, but that short little conversation, it struck me like a lightning bolt. It was physical. And I was like, I never thought when I started talking to you that you were going to tell me that M. Night Shyamalan kicked off your film career. (laughs) Yeah. And it's true. I was sitting there thinking, this is weird that this whole thing, this whole day wouldn't have happened if I had stayed in DC at that meeting. And so I started to think, okay, this is meaningful. This is something that I've wanted to do. I just got a chance to see how it works. I could do this and why not? So I went home that night after my 10 hour day and I said, John, I'm quitting my job. And I'm going to make a movie. He just looked at me and he's been around me for a long time. So I don't think that I shock him that much anymore. And he just was like, okay. And I don't (laughs) know that he thought I was really serious. I know that he knew that I was excited, but I did go to work the next day and went to my CEO and said, I'm going to give you a really long notice, but I'm not re-upping for five. I'll give you a year so that I can get everything in order and mentor someone to take over. I'll do whatever it is that you need. And he said, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to make a movie. (laughs) He said, said, oh, that's about right. That's He'd worked with me for many years. He said, okay, that's about right. That's what I did. I gave my notice. And then during this year of still working, I had the opportunity and luxury of still being paid while I was developing this film on paper and in my head. And I knew that I needed to get help. I wasn't a cinematographer. So I needed to find a production company. I needed to do all of the things that I would learn from in order to be able to do this. I needed to have that set up 
before I walked out the door that following year. Well, I don't know if you remember this, but the reason that we even started following each other on Twitter, or I started following you on Twitter, is because I filmed, it's been over a year now, uh, a documentary film project about women athletes in America that were racing across America on their bike. Yeah. So... Yeah. So why why we're here chatting now is because Melissa did this Beyond 60 project is the film. Mm-hmm. So I was fascinated by the fact that you'd created this film. And obviously, I want you to tell everybody about it. But yeah, that's yeah. why I originally found you because I Isn't was like, amazing? this incredible film about things that women are doing beyond 60. I know I've asked you about some of the people that you spoke with. One of the people involved was the original voice of Siri. Yes, Susan <laughs> Bennett. She's awesome. She is so awesome. I actually bumped into her on Twitter. That's how I met her. When I left work, I had already found a production company and set up a, an arrangement with them. And I'd already found my first three women to do interviews so that I would have some kind of a trailer. And Susan was one of those women. The first three I did, I was still working and I crafted together this little trailer that you have not seen. You've seen a more recent trailer, but I did a trailer of the three women and Susan Bennett was in it and we had connected on Twitter and I told her what I was doing and she and I are about the same age. And she said, oh, what a fantastic idea. I said, do you want to be in it? She said, okay. So that's the most amazing thing that happened for me in the development of this film is that I had to cold call or try to reach out to uh, a number of people that I didn't really know and have a conversation with them about what it is that I was trying to do and would they like to be a part of it. And the funniest thing is nobody said no. They all said yes. And we're also afraid of cold calling people because it just seems like such a, I say we're also afraid. I am so afraid right. of cold. I hate, oh, do you mind if people really are very generous. You're very generous right now with your time, but people are generous with their time. With They really are. And women supporting women, I have found that to be, because I know it's an, a controversial issue in the world that do women support women enough? Do women in film support women in film? Do corporate leaders that are women, do they support other women coming up in the ranks? And there's always controversy about that. But I am here to tell you that the older I get, the more support I get from other women, which makes me stop and think about how much support needs to be given to younger women coming up to make them comfortable in whatever endeavor they may be involved in. All these women said yes. And I ended up with three, one of them being Susan. And I made, I put together a website and I put together a trailer and I left my job at December 31st of that year. And I walked out the door with all of that ready to go. That's another thing about leaving, retiring or leaving a job for another one or one that you're not so sure about. I always tell people you ought to do at least some homework to have yourself prepared for that change. Because if you're working and you're going 100 miles an hour every day, all week long, and then all of a sudden it stops, I, I would have had a problem with that. I always suggest that people have a plan. 
have something at least semi put together before you walk out so that, that when you wake up that day that you don't have to go back to your job, you're ready to step into something new. And that's what I was doing with this. And Susan was one of the most gracious people. We had so much in common. It was just a connection immediately. We spent the entire day with her at her house in Atlanta and the whole crew, because every time I went to film, I would bring a whole crew with me, lighting people and cameras and sound and uh, a production assistant to make things work. <laughs> at this point, was this something that was self-budgeted or was it something that you had already done a lot of fundraising as well? No, it was self-budgeted. I thought I was going to do this film in one year for $100,000. And I, I come from a budget world right. and I would do everything a day before it was due and everything was due three weeks ago. When I said that to the production company, they laughed and they said, are you kidding me? You think you're going to get this done in a year for, well, so they, I learned a lot from them and it took three years to finish it from beginning to end with all the edits and all the travel and the production company has other work to do. The interviews of the women, the first three women, that's what gave me my grounding and made me realize this is easy. This is like the best job that anybody could have, sitting down and having conversations with a contemporary, hearing about their life. And they opened up completely to me, telling me things that would be hard to tell, I would think. And just, oh, so enjoyable. Susan Bennett, the original voice of Siri, she is an introvert, believe it or not or she was an introvert. And when I met with her, we talked a lot about what that was like and how she had built this sound booth in her house and she never had to really go out and see people. She could just do her work from home. And she made it very clear to me that when people hire voiceover artists, they do that without any knowledge of what person looks like. Mm -hmm. So that the person listening to them can make up their own mind and have their own picture of who that person is. And she, we were lamenting about getting old. And she said, I wonder if there was a 25-year-old voiceover artist and me sitting next to one another for a face-to-face -face audition, who would they choose? Would there be, and we got into that and how it would be likely that the younger person would be chosen. And when it's done just on voice. There was just a big controversy here. The original voice, I'm not going to be able to think of the actor's name, but she was one of the original voices from the film Chicken Run. And when they oh. went to do it again, they decided that her voice sounded too old for the character. Now, really? without really telling her, they recast it. And she did a side-by-side -side comparison of her voice as the character, however many years it's been later. They sound, she is the voice. Same. I mean, she is that person. She is that chicken. <laughs> right. There is that bias. The age bias yeah. is there. They just said, oh, that's not the voice of a chicken. She's what the hell's the voice of a chicken sound like anyway? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I haven't talked to one lately, so I don't know. I got excited about Susan and the voice of Siri, and I didn't ask yeah. you to actually describe the project, what the film actually is. Yes, the film is a an expose documentary film of interviews with nine different women all over the age of 65, as old as 85, 
And it's really showcasing their resilience and their continued relevance as they age. So there is a lot of backstory about their younger years, how they came up, some tragic stories and how they worked through that and how that has affected them as an older woman. But the resilience was amazing to catch in every single one of their stories. And not one of them felt like they're over. They're all completely different from different parts of the country, totally different upbringings, different backgrounds, different experiences, but just so present and so willing to share their story because they know stories are what can change the world. I, I was amazed by it, amazed by all of their stories. And I don't have a favorite. I, I can find a favorite theme to each one of them. And I connected with each of them very easily. And again, you have to remember that I didn't know them when I called them and told them what I was doing and asked if they wanted to be a part of it. They said yes, right away. They didn't say, I'll think about it, or they all said yes. These stories we want to tell, I feel like we said it earlier, but you become more mature, you become more bold in some ways, you've had yes. experience. And it's just a shame that there is this thing that women disappear. And I've talked about it yes. a lot, but I don't understand this because their stories are the richest when you have, when you have more to tell. So of course, exactly. they're saying, someone listen to me. Yes. And at the, the beginning and the end of the film, I have bookends where I'm speaking with some very young women in their 20s. And they were so open and just curious as to why would I do this? Why did you leave a corporate job and, and become a filmmaker? This is amazing. Tell me how that worked. And then they got into their fears about aging and they got into their experiences and dealing with grandmothers or other elder women that they knew. They feel that if they didn't hear women's stories, that they would lose a lot of information that they could use now and hang on to as they got older. You, unlike me, had a very good plan going into your film. Yeah. What was the biggest learning curve? For me, it's obviously going to be all the things that I didn't do in advance that you were really good at doing. <laughs> yeah, I did realize that, geez, I have a lot of transferable skills as far as researching and meeting with people and setting things up and reading and figuring out what I need in order to get started. And that start, the main thing was I need to find a production company that can help me. I would say the hardest thing for me after getting that set up was learning the technical aspects of what it would take to make a film. Where I was way off was in the timing of it right? and the cost of it. I, I had no idea what the cost would be. I had no idea what the timing would be or you know, how to set a budget for a film, which is a little bit different than the budgets that I had been working with. So they taught me that and I learned from the crew. And by the end of the third interview, I felt really comfortable in my knowledge around what it was that they were doing, what they expected, what they needed from me mm -hmm. and what I needed from them. As far as the money goes, well, I made a pact with myself that I would take a portion of my own money and put it into this. So I 
continued to do that when I realized that it would be uh, a bit more than I anticipated. And then another funny thing happened. And I, when I went to Sundance, as soon as I left work, then January came and Sundance was in Park City, Utah for a week. So I decided I always wanted to go, but I was always working. So why don't I get myself a ticket? And why don't I take my brand new laptop and website with me and find people that will look at my trailer and see what they think? So I did that. I walked by myself. I got on a plane in the middle of a snowstorm. You know what I mean? It was like crazy. And I got there and it was like 15 below zero. It was great. And I got my tickets. I got to see 10 phenomenal movies. I met some movie stars and some wonderful people. I met directors and several of them. I said, I'm a brand new filmmaker. And every now and then you'd get the, oh, and yes, I'm old, but would you take a look at my website? The trailer is three minutes. And they all said yes. And they all had phenomenal feedback and they all encouraged me to keep going. And one of the people that I showed it to was the president and CEO of United Healthcare. And the reason I was interested in talking with him is because United Healthcare is the largest provider of Medicare insurance in the United States for people over the age of 65. Right. So I thought, you never know. He might know somebody. He sat there, he watched it, and he watched it twice. And he said, this is very interesting. He said, you never know. There might be some synergies here. I'll take this back to my marketing team and we'll be in touch. So I thought he was being polite. Six weeks later, I got a random phone call from the senior VP of marketing at United Healthcare out in Minneapolis. And he said, hey, Melissa, we looked at your trailer and we have a lot in common. We're on this mission to interview seniors over the age of 65. We're doing their stories. We like what you're doing. We would like to support your effort. And in the meantime, in supporting your effort, we would interview you and have you in our magazine and put you online into our profile for seniors looking for information about futuristic ideas and things to do when you're over the age of 65. So I thought, well, that's awesome. And so we talked for a couple of weeks. And the next thing you know, they said, we would like to write you a check to support your efforts. And they wrote me a check for $50,000 with no strings attached. It wasn't an investment that they hoped to get back at any point in time. It was a a sponsorship. And I, I was blown away by it. Blown away. And it really, it helped me do the next few interviews that I did. And I'm forever grateful to them for that. And that was it. They went along in their life doing new and different things. And I continued my film. So we finished the film at the end of 2018. And then in 2019, I spent the whole year traveling to film festivals because my goal, as you can imagine, was to see if I could even make a film. So I did. That was done. And I felt pretty good about it. And then I thought if I could just get into one film festival and I knew I wouldn't be Sundance material for a number of reasons because they've gone mainstream Hollywood at this point. So I started applying and you'd get the 
notice saying, sorry, we didn't accept you, but you never knew quite why. But then all of a sudden I had eight that I was accepted to. Wow. So yeah, the all over the country. And I went to, I'd say 80% of them. There were a couple I couldn't go to, but that's where you get to screen your film in front of an audience and get feedback. And we got a few awards, audience awards, female, female filmmaker eye award. And it was just, it was an intense experience and a wonderful experience to realize that you could make something that would be inspiring to other people. And the surprise in the film festivals was that it was inspiring to not just older women, but younger women, men, all age groups. And the feedback was phenomenal. I think that's one of the things that also would be one of my personal goals with telling women's stories is to show that it's not, it's just a story. Everybody assumes a man's story is one that we'll all watch, we'll all listen to. Right. But just getting that message out there that especially an older woman's story doesn't mean it only appeals to older women. Right. And when you hear the stories, they're incredible, just amazing and incredible. What happened with Susan, which is very interesting, is all of this exposure made her more comfortable in front of cameras. And now she's traveling the world minus COVID time. Right. Right after I interviewed her, she began to travel the world to introduce people like Steve Wozniak at technical conferences in Croatia and, and doing all these cool things. And she started a rock and roll band, which is one of my dreams was to play a saxophone. Next chapter is maybe. But so it just goes to show you that each time we walk past somebody, we have no idea what their story is. And it's very likely that half of them at least have amazing stories to tell. I love documentaries and I love learning about other people and what made them the way they are and how they made choices and how they took chances. Stories change you. They inspire you. And I think they make the average person feel that there's possibility to do new things and 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 I think my film has done that for people. Where can people see it? Because now everybody's well, going to hear this and want to and want to watch and know all these stories. Can't see it yet unless it was at a film festival that you saw it. But I just signed on with Rolling Pictures out of Burbank, California, and they are my agent distributor. So they've taken on worldwide distribution rights, and they are just beginning to send it out to whomever buys movies. And there are zillions of places that you can do that, both here in the States and in other countries. So hopefully within the year, COVID got in the way this year and it really slowed down that process. So now I'm ramping that up and hopefully in a year or within the year, there will be some ability for people to see this on different platforms. I can't wait. It's going to be so good. <laughs> it has to come to London or I have to yeah. come to visit so I can see the film. <laughs> At the New Hope Film Festival in New Hope, Pennsylvania. And that's the, was it the third to last one that I did last year? It was the first time anybody in my family had seen it. My husband hadn't seen it. My kids had not seen it. My grandchildren had not seen it. So it was pretty local to us. So we got everybody there. That was the day that I was the most nervous, Yeah. but they loved it. It was just phenomenal. 
And, and that was an amazing experience to have people that care for you watching your film and knowing what you've been doing for the last three years and having the ability then to give you feedback. And it was just amazing. There were a lot of people there that were like, are you selling CDs yet? But that's not how it works. Right. First, you have to go through the distribution process. It will eventually end up on DVDs, but I don't know how many people have DVD players anymore. I know. Um, I got some. I don't. That was a DVD player. And I thought, where do I, what the, what am I supposed to do with this? I know. <laughs> Maybe a lot of older people still have them. Ours is in the basement in a box. But yeah, there will be online platforms and there will be probably not a theatrical release because theaters really are shut down at this point with COVID. So the whole distribution has changed for film in this last year. I'm very inspired and I'm going to make sure everyone I know listens to this podcast so that they can all be inspired. But I ask you for an inspirational quote. Let me see. It's Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Speaking of documentaries. Did you watch hers? Yes. So inspiring. Definitely one of my ultimate heroes. The quote that I love and live by is by Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And it goes like this. I want to be remembered as someone who used whatever talent she had to do her work to the very best of her ability and to help repair tears in her society to make things a little better through the use of whatever ability she has. If we could all go to our graves having done that. Yeah. How wonderful would the world be, actually? I know. It really does get me, it gets me teary. It does me, too. And I've had that quote around me for a very long time, and it always inspired me. And, And I realized it inspired me because... That's how I felt. I really wanted to be good at what I did, whether it was being a mother or a grandmother or a businesswoman or a wife or a friend or in society. It was meaningful for me at many points in my life to do nonprofit work for people who had less than I did. It's just, I don't know, it does something for you. It just does something for you. To be connected to the bigger picture and to be able to relate to people at all levels and without judgment and see these people as you're really, as we're all humans. We just have all different backgrounds and experiences. But at the end of the day, every person I've ever spoken with, whether they had mental health issues and I was working with them, or they were in poverty, or they were a CEO, or or they were a manager or a mother or whatever. There's this basic thread that goes through everyone. They all want to do better. They all want to succeed. They all want to take care of their families. They all want to learn new things. We're really so much alike. So I I always use that. I remind myself of that. And she was an amazing woman, Ginsburg, and she left an incredible legacy. So yeah, that's what I think of when I think of an inspirational quote that I'd like to hang my hat on. I think you're doing a good job of being your own, taking on the world inspiration. (laughs) Thank you for inspiring us today. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate it. I hope that we do get to meet face to face. I would love it. And thank you for telling the stories of some other really amazing women. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. 
Thanks again for listening. The second chapter is just getting started, so your subscriptions and five-star reviews mean so much. The second chapter is brought to you by Slackline Productions, a production company dedicated to redressing the balance of women's stories being told and who's telling them, with a specific focus on women 35+. Plus. For more about Slackline, visit slacklineproductions.co.uk. Thanks again.